0: This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is an occasional director, an Oscar and Emmy-nominated performer, and one of the most admired actresses of her generation. You know her work from the TV shows Frasier, The Good Wife, Madam Secretary, the Middle, Seinfeld, Grace and Frankie, and feature films like The Cheap Detective, Audrey Rose, Two Days in the Valley, Stella, Heartbreak Ridge, I Love Trouble, and Max Dugan Returns, as well as four films for which you received Academy Award nominations as Best Actress Cinderella Liberty, Chapter 2, Only When I Laugh, and a movie we've discussed at length on this show, 1977's The Goodbye Girl. In a lengthy and successful career that began with, among other things, a drive-in movie about a demolition derby and a one-day part in the classic soap dark shadows she's worked steadily on broadway and off-broadway stage and on the big and small screen and she also directed numerous stage and tv productions she worked alongside some of the greatest talents of the last century including Jason Robards, Albert Finney, George Siegel, Clint Eastwood, Anthony Hopkins, Donald Sutherland, Bette Midler, Richard Dreyfuss, and of course, her one-time husband and frequent collaborator, the late, great Neil Simon. She's also worked with several guests of this very podcast, including Matthew Broderick, Heath Carradine, Austin Powers, Austin Tim Powers, Austin, <laughs> I think it's time to go home. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> I said Austin Powers. Oh, fuck. I love it. I love okay. it. Okay, that's all
1: right. We'll we'll loop it later. Yeah. I,
0: I think it was Matt Helm. You want to get through the rest of the names? Okay. Yeah. Where were we? Stay on mic. Oh, yes. Yeah, that helps, too. Uh, Oh, Christ. Uh, Austin Pendleton, Tim Matheson, Paul Williams, and James Burroughs. She welcomes to the... Oh, please welcome to the show. (laughs) Have you been drinking? If if you'd like to leave at this point, you can. Oh, no, this is when you want (laughs) to (laughs) stay. Please welcome to the show a gifted, versatile performer and a former professional. Professional race car driver, Marsha Mason.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's the best introduction I've ever heard of.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) That's great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. It's all
1: downhill from here, (laughs) Marsha.
2: Yes. No, no. But what I loved is um, it was a great sort of... Different perspective and take on my career, which was really nice. You lose sight like of all, all those the, people you've worked well, with. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, because you st- if you stay in the present, you know, it's and it sounded really lovely. All of a sudden, it was like, oh wow, I did that. Yeah, those were the
1: ob- those were just the obvious names. <laughs> yeah, right. we didn't even say like Pacino and all these and uh, uh, and Sid Caesar yes. and all of these other legends. <laughs> oh, tell us
0: about Sid Caesar.
2: Well, most of my experience with Sid Caesar was through Neil Simon because he told me a lot, and we met briefly. But um, the, all of Mel Brooks and and Rob um, Carl Reiner and um, Sid Caesar—they all came out of even Peter Stone. You know, there were a Peter lot Stone, of ri- yeah, him? there were a lot of writers. And they were friends, and there was this camaraderie that writers have, I think, because they're in writing rooms. Even on the Sid Caesar show, they Uh had writing rooms. And, of course, Neil wrote about it in his two uh, books, his two memoirs. So it was really lovely to uh, kind of do it through being secondhand um, and getting a sense of what that world was really like. And they had this camaraderie and this um, that I. It's actually met um, by uh, British actors, Michael Caine, Sean Connery, people like that that we had to our house for dinner and stuff. The the Brits are really good in terms of their sociability. In other words, you go and you have dinner and you have these fabulous. Conversation. Oh, you mean it's like
1: a similar fraternity? Yes. To British actors yes. and comedy writers. Yes. that's interesting. And
2: also, they have—they're uh, very adept at social conversation. Interesting. And you're expected to be able to participate. I had—I um, had an in- invitation uh, through Tony Richardson to visit him in the south of France with his daughter Natasha, and we had people would come through in the south of France um, and have dinner and stuff like that and the Mitford sisters and people. And what was sort of expected of you, which was kind of unusual for me because I tended to be a little bit of an introvert, was you were expected to um, offer some social – communication mm-hmm. and enjoyment and they had a great time and they they loved socializing and especially at dinner or you know and drinks and stuff like that and so it was a wonderful lesson on on how to communicate. So your perspective of uh, the introduction reminded me of that. You That's know, nice. you, people bring different perspectives to a conversation. We hope you
1: got to go down memory lane a little bit. When I you heard, did. When you heard I that did.
2: I did. Now yes. Caesar,
1: you're in, you're, you're in the cheap detective. I'm trying to remember if you guys had yes. any scenes together. Uh, no, because you almost no. weren't in the. But
2: cheap. I was there, right? Because of the first one, which was murdered by death, right. I, I was his assi- I was Neil's assistant, and I simply asked to be that because there were so many great or, or people had to like Peter Sellers. Peter Se- yes, of course. Exactly. And who it is not ap- apocryphal. You couldn't wear purple. What's that about? I don't know, but the you what, couldn't wear
1: you, you couldn't, couldn't wear, wear purple, purple around Peter Sellers. No,
2: he didn't. It, it upset <laughs> him.
0: Now I heard something that was similar with uh, Peter Sellers and Sid Caesar in that uh and you find this with a lot of performers uh that off I have often heard off camera they didn't exist it's like uh if they were in character yes they had this energy and power off camera I think camera. that's
2: I think that's slightly true yes wasn't, I think wasn't that's wasn't there true. a story
1: of Mel of of Caesar getting an award like some kind of lifetime yes. achievement award and Mel Brooks had to coach him up or he'd say "Yeah, do, do it in yeah. german
2: That's very true. Yeah, Yeah. I remember Neil telling me um, when they were writing stuff, Sid would come into the room and he would listen, but you wouldn't necessarily know how he felt about it because he wasn't that communicative. And then he would go out and he would take that idea and he would run with it. So that doesn't surprise me because... um, one of the people that I actually worked with who was very similar was,, um, oh I'm trying to think. Um, Robert de Niro was a lot like that mm-hmm. in the sense that he um who he was as a person is very different than the energy that comes through the screen. Accepting that, you can't really separate the two. So he was slightly intimidating. And yet at the same time, what you realize then, if you um, keep yourself open and and stay there, is that he's extremely shy.
1: Don't you find that about a lot of performers though?' You're, and you're like that in some ways too, Gilbert. Sometimes the switch is off. Yeah, because because performing all the time is exhausting. So with some of these people. So when this when the, when they're turned out or when the robot is sort of powered down,
0: Yes, I think that's really true. And can you tell that story, if you know the same story, where Sid Caesar was trying to speak on stage, like accepting an award or something, and he was stumbling all over. Do you remember this? That was the story
1: we heard was Mel Brooks was president. He yelled, Sid, do it in German.
0: Oh and by yeah. By getting
1: a character. Yeah. Or a dialogue, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's on. true. And I think that's really just true. Exploded. And
2: Neil was a young writer at that show. So um Mel is the one that told the story about, you know, he would whisper Neil would whisper uh, certain lines to Danny, his right. brother, and Danny would say it. As you dramatized know. in the movie yeah. My Favorite Year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And it was um Mr. Reiner, who said, let the kids, or Mel, who said, let the kid talk. You know what I mean? So it was like that, because Neil also was like that. He was very uh, diffident and Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat shy, um, and yet he was extremely funny.
0: And there's always talk about on your show of shows the insane amount of talent in the writer's room. Yeah. Each one became legendary. Mel
1: Tolkien, too. Mm-hmm. Selma Diamond, all of them. I've often wondered too, and because my favorite year is, is one sort of semi-fictional portrayal of Sid Caesar, Neil's play is another, right? Laughter on the yeah. 23rd Floor. Yeah. I've often wondered where the truth lies.
2: Oh, I think I think Laughter on the 23rd Floor is, Neil actually really did write autobiographically. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, Barefoot in the Park was true. Joan did sit on the ledge of the window, oh, and, that's cool to know, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: and um, well, the yacht couple had to do with his brother. I that's think. right, yeah, absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely. there's a lot there's a lot well, I found it interesting. I didn't know in watching Goodbye Girl, and then I've seen it a hundred times. and then doing research on you, I didn't know how many things came, were true that came from your life, oh like a the lie. auto show,
2: oh yeah, uh, that was true. A lot of it was true. Um, The auto show was absolutely, and only when I laugh, there was a lot of truth. Uh, Chapter 2, a lot of truth. Yes. A lot of truth. What's it like
1: directing Chapter 2 now? Is that weird for you?
2: No, actually, because actually when I went to do the movie, the play had already opened, And I think it was a couple of years later. So I always thought of it as just, it's a character I knew well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it wasn't, it didn't have any. I don't know if this is a failing on my part or a limitation, which it may be, but I can separate myself out a great deal from something i i'm not exactly sure why but it just sort of seems to be the case Mm -hmm. so when and maybe part of it was because neil would give me pages sometimes to read uh, a scene or just sometimes pages and we would talk about it and then other times uh he would wait until the whole thing was done but but I was always able to treat the work very objectively and I think that's why we had such a positive and wonderful professional relationship. We had mutual admiration and affection for one another when we worked. And I've uh, I think often it comes across well and often but people tell me that couples have sometimes a very hard time working together or playing tennis together and it was the one thing about neil and i that um wasn't there we just had this mutual respect for each other and affection and consequently we had a
0: great time did, did you have an easier time working with him than living with him yes oh that's an interesting question yeah every now and then <laughs> <laughs> I usually get one every three months. Oh, you underrate yourself. <laughs> well,
1: he did, well, it's fair to say uh, he and I, this is what I find in the research that he didn't. He, um, how, how do I put this tactfully? He didn't uh, love actresses. He had a, he had a certain kind of he had a certain kind of uh, difficulty uh, with actresses, or or is it the acting profession?
2: Uh, I think it's more the acting, acting profession. Right.
1: I don't mean to make it uh, gender-based. No,
2: no, it wasn't. Um, Unless the actor in particular said something. For example, there was an incident where in one of the plays, I don't remember which one, an actress, a, a female actor. Now we have to change and we're now right, longer fine. actresses <laughs> <Right>. or actors. <laughs> um said, well, uh, I wouldn't say that, meaning she wouldn't say that line. And that sort of question or that statement would make him bristle. Of course. But at, at the same time, he was the kind of writer, if he knew that somebody was really, really talented, he'd write to them. For example, the two experiences that I remember was Annie Wedgworth in Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And she came in, and the part was originally written like uh, very rat tat tat Rosalind Russell. Oh you know, quick-witted and smart and fast. <clears throat> and Annie Wedgworth was from Texas and had a kind of drawl, and she came in and said, oh, I know I'm not the right color for this. And then she did the material, and she was so funny because she had an innate sense of humor and understood timing, which you cannot teach somebody. And Neil said, that's it. So she was diametrical, Diametrically opposed to the material, but it it went to her. He
1: adapted on the fly. That's right. You could say this, that about Goodbye Girl too, right? When when Dreyfus came in the room and he recognized what chemistry the two of you had, oh, they decided that I, was I have we to go were rewrite total
2: this. strangers. Uh, Richard and I did not know one another. We came in to do a cold reading, and there was just immediate chemistry, and he knew there was a problem with the script. Um, and so he said, okay, I know what to do. And he went back and he completely rewrote it and the goodbye. We didn't know it would be as successful as it was. Right, though.
0: right, well, of course. And how did you first meet uh, Neil Simon? And-
2: I did a play of his called The Good Doctor. And actually, um, it's kind of unusual but uh, for other people, but not so for me. But I showed up for an audition and they thought I was a California actress because I was out in San Francisco doing repertory. And, um, I had, I had shot Cinderella Liberty and it had just come out. And I think also bloom in love, but they thought I was quote unquote, a California actress. And somebody said that to me and I took I took exception to it. I said, no,
1: Anyways, you had been a New York actress. <laughs> yeah.
2: So here I was auditioning, and they gave me sides. Um, and the script had uh, been uh, sent to me, but we missed each other because I was flying back for the audition. So all I had were the sides, and I had one side. And so it was uh, called The Seduction. It was a Chekhovian short stories that he put together called The Good Doctor. And I did the side, and everybody thought that was nice. And they said, oh, do the other one. And I said, what other one? And it was to be called The Governess. And I said, well, I didn't get that, and I didn't read the script. But I said, if you want, I'll, I'm happy to audition cold. Just understand that it's cold. And... um so I, then I did the uh, the governess for them, and I went back to my AM, agent's office, and I thought, well, I'll get a call back. And she said, well, they've hired you. <laughs> So then, later, Manny Eisenberg, the producer, told me that Neil said, "Oh, well, hire that girl. I'm going to marry her." He's just
1: going to ask you that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was wondering <laughs> if that was one of those urban myths. No, no, it's yeah. true.
2: And then I went back to California and completely changed my life because I was thought I was going back to Repertory at San Francisco. And I took care of all of that, and I came back and started rehearsal on October the third, and. We were doing the first reading, and of it, everybody was around the table, you know, um, Mr. Plummer and everybody, Franny Sternagin and Barney Hughes and René Genois. No. Yeah. yeah, it was really impressive. And we took a break, and Neil came around, and he put his hands on my shoulders, I remember, and was saying how very nice. And I reached up, and I just patted his hand on my shoulder three times, and there was such um, an extraordinary, strange, electric psychic response that I had to excuse myself and go to the ladies' room and talk myself down into a kind of what just happened—that kind of thing. And we were married three weeks
1: later. You know, it's fascinating.
2: Yeah. And it lasted ten years. So.
1: In- instant chemistry.
2: Yeah, instant. Same thing with Dreyfus and I. Of a different kind. It was not romantic, but we had this great. Um, I just don't know what else to say. Energy, chemistry together. And Richard and I wound up doing uh, Prisoner of Second Avenue. Yeah, we were just years talking about later. that. How was that? In uh, at the Royal Haymarket, we had toured with it beforehand. We had the best oh, time, gosh, and I it was to see as that. if it, the same energy was still there, That's and nice I'm sure hear. if I ran into him, the, it would still
0: be there. I, I remember like a thousand years ago going with my sisters, it was on Broadway, and seeing Prisoner of Second Avenue with Peter Falk and Lee Grant. That's right. Yep. Lee yep.
1: Grant, who's done this show.
0: Oh, nice. She was terrific.
1: She's lovely. Yep. We went to her house, she let us hold her Oscar.
2: <laughs> well, and when we shot The Good Doctor for PBS for the American Playhouse, uh-huh. Lee played the Franny Sternhagen role, I think.
1: It's interesting too, uh that that he he originally asked you to stop acting for a yes. while. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, you have to understand the context is that his wife had passed sure. away in July. We were married in October. There were two young girls. Right. There was a lot going right. on. Neil had not really grieved the death of his wife. The girls hadn't either to some extent. So I stepped into a, a really big, complex, highly psychological Difficult period for all of us. But I had made that commitment very presently Mm -hmm. and not exactly romantically. I knew the commitment I was making. And so I knew that that was a a really important thing. And so when he said that to me, I make a joke about it now and say, if only he had asked me that before we got married. (laughs) But I told him quite honestly that I would do it. I would give it up. But I wasn't sure Mm
0: -hmm.
2: how I would feel about that. And I said, so as long as you know that, that I'm willing to make that commitment because I do want to make this work. And it was, I think, just fear, anxiety, and also the fact that he hadn't grieved his wife's right, sure, death. sure. timing. And so consequently, about a year we spent in New York in their old uh, townhouse. We made the big decision to move, and he had gone to a therapist who had asked him said, well, what would happen if you got married to Marsha and the girls and everything, um, and you— you know changed your life in a major way and he said I would be happy. So that was the big shift. I and see. then we moved out to California and without I I had nothing to do with it. He wrote um Bogart slept here and then The Goodbye Girl.
1: Well, as a gift to you to to, to Well, just, to some extent I suppose. to get I you suppose. back in the game.
2: Well, it was. I mean, yeah. he made the he wrote the movie. Right. I mean, he right, wrote right. the movie.
0: Now, absolutely. Uh, Considering it was like right after his wife died, was there any resentment or awkwardness of you stepping in? You know,
2: strangely enough, there wasn't. Um, both The reason we got married so quickly, part uh, partly, or maybe even majorly, is because Ellen and Nancy were then 15 and 9, something like that, 14 and 9. 10 or 15, they're five years apart, and they came to us one day, and they said, we'd like Marsha to move in, but we won't tell our friends you're not married, because we weren't. And in those days, in the 70s, that was still something. So that was a big shift, I think, for Neil, for myself, and for them, they were basically sending this message that they really needed a family. They loved me or at least liked me at that pace. And we are close to this day. Oh, that's nice to hear. Oh, yeah. We're all together for Thanksgiving um, with their now children and a great grand. Wow, yeah.
1: that's nice.
2: So, So that, I think, was the big shift. Then, of course, once you make that shift, and you're in it. Then there are times when feelings come up. After we got married, Neil went into a deep funk about it, and it you, was tough. You, you there talked were, about it in the book. Yeah, it was sitting tough. Sitting in rooms
1: in the dark by himself. Yeah, and,
2: yeah. And you don't know what to do. And I, I, I talked to a therapist during that period of time to make sure I was feeling okay about everything. And also, how could I help the girls? Mm-hmm. And they were okay. And then, of course, when we got divorced, especially for Nancy, it was difficult because I think in some ways she wound up grieving two mothers, her first one and me. Oh, yeah. That's so hard. we went through that, and we're close to this day. But sure, there's going to be a, a roller coaster of feelings through death, marriage divorce, absolutely.
1: It's sweet in the book to hear you talk about how you like to make him laugh. Yeah. How, how important mm-hmm. that was to you. And yeah. there's a, that good little anecdote about you guys going to see Blazing Saddles.
2: Oh, yeah!
1: <laughs> and, the, and the campfire scene yes. pr- cracked him up oh, to the point that he had to oh. excuse himself. Yes,
2: he had to excuse himself. He practically was down on the floor in his <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anything scatological sent him off the moon. That's funny yeah.
1: to know that. Yeah. You know, we talk about his work a lot on the show. It, uh, you know, we've, we told you we've had 260 people come in here. And, it's, and you know, Alan's wife. Who was a, a yes, comedy writer yes, and was a friend of yeah. Neil's, and so many other people. Carl, we've had on the show, and we talk about the odd couple yes. a lot. And we talk about Prisoner of Second Avenue, and we both talk about the Sunshine Boys. His impact on, on the culture I mean, I'm stating the obvious and comedy will be felt for generations. And, oh, I and agree. the work won't date. You, you put the odd couple in now, what, 68, 67? Wonderful as ever. Same yep. with the Sunshine Boys. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. And the same with the Goodbye Girl, which we yep. just, which we just
0: watched again. And
2: yeah, it's it holds up pretty stuff. well.
0: Yeah, it and does. Wasn't there at one point? I remember, like, I don't know who the hell puts it to a vote. Uh, they 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 announced that they said uh, Neil Simon is no longer relevant. They yeah. yeah.
2: Well, it, I think I I'm not exactly sure
0: that that's true. No, it's not, you know, but did you see that it was like, it was maybe it's one of those insane things that the internet starts, but it was like, I thought this is so fucking insane. It's
1: not comedy that dates you watch and you watch barefoot in the park. Now, and like I said, all of these things, uh, you know, the, the lost in Yonkers, all of, all of oh, this stuff.
2: Well, see, I think, um, it's as good as ever. Yeah, Brighton Beach, Beach Lawson Yonkers, and Broadway Bound as a trilogy are really some of his best work because, as as you know, in comedy, I mean, what really makes it humorous and funny is the pain. Yes. And that much I really, really understood and learned from him. Um, And I just think um, what happened when they tried to do the repertory, that they miscalculated how to sell it because actually it should have been, the rep should have been the event, not that it was Neil Simon, and then his material would have possibly. That's interesting. Yeah, because subsequent now we've had all these kind of breakthrough productions that will have two shows or three shows, or you see them in Rep. You know, when Mark Rylance came, it was a huge success. So I think if they had done that, if they had been more forward-thinking in their advertising, it would have been much different. And
0: and just recently, uh, Frank and I had Artie Lang on this show, and we all started exchanging lines from The Odd Couple. Oh, nice.
1: Which all hold up so well. You know, and also there's the creative children of Neil Simon. There's the writers that were so influenced by him. Oh, there's yes. A, there's generations of this work
2: exactly.
0: that's out in the
1: world that, right. that can be traced back to him. Absolutely.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Let's talk about Bogart Slept Here because it's some of the most interesting things in your book, by the way, which I want to plug. It's, it's, it's not a new book. But it's a it's a book worth getting. Oh, Journey. Thank you. Yeah. And I love too how you went through all those uh, those t- alternate titles <laughs> <laughs> before arriving at yeah. it. But but the story of you writing the letter to De Niro years later. Oh
2: yeah. Is very yeah. moving. Yeah.
1: But just on a Take uh, take our listeners back to the backstory. It started life as a, as a different script as a movie yes. called Bogart Slept Here, based on the life of Dustin Hoffman.
2: That's correct. Dustin and his first wife, I believe, uh, Anne, they were living down the street from us, and he had been discovered by Mike Nichols um, for The Graduate. And he and Neil were talking one day, and they were talking about that experience. And Neil wrote a play called Bogart Slept Here about a struggling actor with a wife and a couple of young kids who gets a big break and, and has a major film director come and- Change his life Changes life overnight. his life overnight. And And um, Ray Stark was producing, and Bobby De Niro was in it, and myself, and- we, we rehearsed and we shot a couple of, I think we shot a couple of weeks. And the man who week. changed
1: Hoffman's life was directing, yes, Mike Nichols. Mike
2: Nichols. <laughs> and we ran into difficulty uh, between Mike and Neil in, in the tone and the direction of the film. Because Mike had a very specific idea, which I guess they had not really talked out prior to us beginning. Interesting. And I was kind of caught in the middle because Neil and Mike were having these difficulties, and they and then I was stuck in the middle because I was with one man most of the day and then went home to, with the other. How
1: how one. And it was very.
2: It was. It was extremely difficult. And what happened was, um, everybody, all the powers that be, including the studio at the time, understood that we we had a really big problem and that it wasn't going to work. And so we stopped.
1: And De Niro was still kind of in character for for, he had just come off Taxi Driver. Yes. Right.
2: Yes, that's part of that. So that must have made it. But, you know, I mean, that's like in some ways I think it's really interesting. It just depends, you know, because there were so many men involved Mm -hmm. that as a woman observing it all, it was really fascinating to me. But I didn't have a voice in anything, and I couldn't say anything because the men were oh. all the powerful figures. So I, I had no say really. Um, but there was this moment when Bobby called and said, "I really want to try to work this out, and you know, make it work." But the men. All of them—the studio, Mike, Neil, whatever—they had made the decision that we weren't going to go forward, and I felt, I felt held back. I felt like I, I didn't have, I there wasn't anything I could do. So then fade out. Part of it was because they thought that maybe my, uh, that um, Bobby didn't really understand humor. Yeah. So it was two years, I think. He had not later. really
1: been in a comedy to that
2: point. No, he had been in no. Bang
1: the Drum slowly and Taxi yeah, Driver. Yeah, no, no, and no. Ta- yes, yeah, and-
2: exactly. All of that was out there, yeah. and he was considered a very serious actor. But he had not done a comedy. So I go off, and I see one of his pictures.
1: Many years later,
2: and well, not too many oh. actually. Um, but a few, mm-hmm. you know, maybe four or five years. Mm-hmm. And Neil and I had now separated. And I I just was so moved by his performance and his humor and everything that— And actually, I don't even think it was a picture that was a comedy. Oh. It was uh, the one that where he played— The Vietnam vet returning. That's it. So there was something about that thing that prompted me, and I found the address for his production company, and I wrote this letter and basically just said how sorry I was that I didn't fight for him. How nice. And everything. And we wound up talking on the phone, and he had, you know, he was so dear and so sweet and so lovely lovely and he said he totally understood the position i was in and then he referred back to the cotton club picture because his then wife was in it and he said it's always so complicated when you are working with someone that you're married to oh interesting and it was so lovely of him that i you know was finally able to Put that to rest.
1: That's That was nice of you to reach out well, like that.
2: Yeah, but I wish I had been stronger. I think the women today are, I didn't have that kind of um, chutzpah. And I didn't feel that I was entitled to compared to how I feel today, where I would brook nothing today compared to then. But that's my own Growth and also my position as a woman in the business at that time, right? Which was very different.
1: Do, do dailies exist? Does this footage exist? Of of has the studio buried it?
2: I don't know. Of Bogart
1: slept here. I don't.
2: I have no idea. Interesting. That's really good. Yeah. yeah I don't know.
1: Yeah. Very interesting.
2: And also, Mike. Then later, I think in his own um, conversations with Jack on the HBO interview with Jack O'Brien and stuff um or in it, at certain interviews he said that was a diver- the, that was a very difficult time for him
1: well he was also coming off the fortune which had flopped exactly and he was and, and as you write about well, it in the book well it
2: happened while we were in pre-production and rehearsal you and said he, he had a crisis
1: of confidence
2: yeah and he didn't know why the fortune didn't work and that scared him a lot
1: we have to talk about Cinderella liberty because it's one of gilbert's favorites
0: yes and i saw it in the theater <clears throat> and and to this day, I remember the theme song was written by Paul Williams,
1: <laughs> and sung by Paul Williams.
0: And sung by no, Paul. John,
1: John Williams and Paul Williams.
2: You're confusing Cinderella Liberty with the Goodbye Girl.
1: No, no, Goodbye no, Girl. The no. Goodbye Girl was David oh, no, Gates. Paul Cinderella Williams, Liberty. right, right. right. Yes. you know
2: that's right because. I asked I don't know how this came to be partly because Mark Rydell was a big jazz enthusiast and we were talking one time and he said what instrument would you think would rec- be Maggie's big instrument and I said the harmonica oh, that's
0: and Paul interesting.
2: Williams wrote that I yeah. was so stunned and
0: and and it goes as follows <laughs> I'll do it as Paul Williams. Hello, what a simple way to start a love affair. Oh, my God. Should oh I speak cried right out and say how much I care? Would you take me for a madman or a simple hearted clown? Hello, with affection from a sentimental fool. To a little girl who's broken every rule. (laughs) One that lifts me up when all the others seem to let me down. One that's nice to be around. Should you know, I say that'll that do it blue <laughs> world without you? He sang this to Paul oh yes. on the show, too. And and after oh a while, he had to join in and sing with me. So it was oh. like stereo Paul us
2: Oh, that's great. I love it. I love but it. But I
0: always loved that song. It's the a sweet movie. The reason I got
2: confused is because I just had a... Thing on Facebook or Twitter or something. I think it was Facebook, and somebody sent me a woman in Canada who's like been a fan for years. She sent me a picture of. Bread was it? Bread who did the goodbye? Da- girl. Uh, David Gates. David Gates. Yeah. yeah. Bread. So formally, so bread. I get, I form, yes. So I I got the two
0: confused. You're right. And and one of the actors in, it, of course, was Eli Wallach, the great one of our character favorites. actor. Uh, I loved. Eli. Didn't he put
1: the bug in your ear that you might want to do the good he doctor? He
2: absolutely did. And I'm trying Auditioned to remember why we knew one another. I can't remember why, because he said to me, oh, by the way, I just got a script. I think you'd be great in it or whatever. And it was the Cinderella Liberty script, and he was going to give it to me, and then they were sent. And that's how that whole wow. thing, and I went back and blah, blah, and missed the thing. But you're right. It was, it was Eli Wallach who uh, first mentioned it to me.
1: Now, you say you didn't, in those days, you didn't have uh, the confidence to to speak up the way you do now. But do I have this right? You talked to Rydell. You made a request about changing the ending. I did. So that's a, that's a bold stroke.
2: I did. Well, you know, when it came to material, mm-hmm. um, I have a friend, Jack O'Brien and some other people tell me that I really can't lie. Because they can read it on my face. And I, I saw this uh, an original screening, and I told Mark that I thought it, you're asking us to root for this couple and then to, you know, uh, have them fail or not succeed, and especially her is gonna hurt. It's gonna not be good. And and he said, but that's life. That's real.
1: Interesting.
2: So I said, okay. But then he listened to some extent and they did a voiceover and that basketball stuff at the end where Jimmy Kahn says to the kid, my kid, you know, we're gonna go find her. Fade out, it's a year later, and I go down to the uh, public to see an early version of the chorus line and in this version that michael bennett had written and by the way the good doctor was directed ultimately by michael bennett um that we had two directors and um so michael had asked neil to come down and take a look at it and we went and in this particular uh production, that night, because they were working on it, it was, you know, basically early in the show. Uh, Cassie doesn't make the cut. So Michael asked my opinion, and I said, I think you're making a mistake.
1: With chorus line. Uh huh.
2: And I see, he said, What do you mean? And I said, She has to stay in the line. And he said, well, but it's not real. I said, listen, Mark Rydell said that to me, too. <laughs> and I said, people do not go to the theater to see life just imitated back at them in the same despairing way that they're experiencing That's interesting. it. Oh, I, so I said, you have to have hope. You have to aspire. You have to feel better. Um, and they changed it. And Cassie stayed in the line. You, he- you
1: heard it here. Marsha Mason personally yes. changed the ending of Chorus Line.
2: Well, I didn't uh, actually. <laughs> um, um, uh, oh, God. Um, oh, Marvin Hamlish in the documentary for the Chorus Line. I totally forgot the story. And somebody said to me, oh, my God, you changed the whole thing of Chorus Line. And I said, what are you talking about? They said, I just saw the documentary, and Marvin Hamlish says, you changed it. I said, I, so I went and I saw the documentary, and he, I didn't know he knew. That's great. So he, it was true.
0: That's great. I, I, I read that in Pretty Woman, the original ending in the script was he drives her— right to where he picked her up, hands her the money, and drives off. Well, it was a much darker script. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Which I would have loved to have seen that ending.
1: You know, it's funny, Cinderella Liberty being a creature of the 70s. Yeah. In, in movies, American movies have changed. In those days, an, uh, an audience would accept that ending. You know? We were yeah. in the age of Midnight Cowboy. Totally. You could have a downer.
2: But I think that's ending. why The Goodbye Girl was so successful because in those days you went to these small movie theaters and you filled out cards sure. and people were desperate for a fa- what they called a family movie, in other words, a movie they could take their kids to. And that we had no idea that The Goodbye Girl would be as a, as successful and part of it was because we just happened to get lucky on that shift out of the darkness That's into interesting. Uh, a more positive vein.
1: I will let you know that my wife and I tear up, and we did again Saturday night, when you pick up that guitar
2: <laughs> oh, I and know. run out on that yeah. fire
1: escape yeah. in the rain. I love you. And guys. I get choked up now <laughs> thinking about it. You know.
2: Well, see, I think you we're really, in you dark, really dark times. Sell that. Well, we're in dark times, and so it's good— to have a balance, you know, where you have, yeah. Dark is a given, but so is light.
1: One of the things that make it great as a romantic comedy is the darkness. And we talked before about that That's that Neil could write yeah, from that. Yeah, the, the pain. The scene, it's a, and it takes its time putting these two people together. But you break my heart a hundred times. You put the scene where you're in the street and you're stuffing but the spaghetti just, back in the box.
2: I know, but that's just the truth.
1: Yeah, there's, but there's so the much truth. pain to get there you know yeah it's 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 why i think it's a, a, a model romantic comedy that people who want to make romantic comedies should look at
2: yeah yeah cuz it's real yeah
1: Do you want to tell us about how paul newman got you into race car driving <laughs> since we put it in the intro and now the whole world is wondering what oh, and my you God. once drove a car 200 miles an hour
2: yeah yeah
0: i can't picture this <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't drive
2: yeah yeah
0: you yeah. never got a license no, was, right No, I was no. Uh,
2: I was. I was and uh, well, when you say professional, I was a um a sports car club SCCA driver for 7 years. I had a team. Um I um I been to most of the tracks in the West and the Midwest and um I always brought the car home and I was made a chevalier by the SEC. What, what does that and, mean? You uh, somebody a who is racing in their 50s. I see. And um, yeah, so I had a, I, I did it all. Yeah. And I had a GT3 car.
1: You bought one at some no, point?
2: No, uh, it was built. Oh, okay. Yeah. You well, the built. very first one I bought was, it was a GT3 car. Um, and I bought it off a kid in Rialto for about 2500 and put a Mazda engine in it and had a kind of mom-and-pop team with a friend of mine who was a lawyer, and it was like a pastime, a hobby. And I was living out in L.A. at the time, so we went up to Button Willow and, uh, you know, Springs up there and raced up there, and I got my license there. And then I met up with Mike Lewis out of San Diego, who is a really serious—he's done LaMont and he's done— all the big races, and he'd race as a GT1 as well as a GT3. And he ran uh, Mazdas also, so he would help us if we had some motor trouble. So one day he called me up and he said, Listen, would you be interested in hooking up together? And, you know, I'll uh, give you my championship car because he was building himself a new one. And you can have my GT3, my old GT3, and we'll do a, you know, a arrive and drive situation, what they call mm-hmm. arrive and drive, I meaning you show up, if you crash it, you pay for it, and otherwise they take care of it, and they, you have a, you know, your, your crew and everything. So I started racing, and I did the SCCA races and the NASPort races, so I had about... 12 to 15 races a season. But out in L.A. With the helmet
0: pre- and the suit, oh, the whole shebang. There's a few actors, well, Paul Newman, of course, then there was Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen race. Yeah. And, and James Steen. James Garner raced
1: too
2: and Tom Cruise Tom Cruise yeah. I spent yeah. a weekend with Paul and Tom <laughs> wow
0: oh man <laughs> yeah it was You're a really serious fun. racer yeah it was what, great i mean people would
1: have to read the book to to track your journey from a self-described you know good girl and, and <laughs> Growing up in St. I Louis know, yeah. to this to 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 you getting in touch with the rebellious side of you, yes, of yourself yes. that puts you in a race car going 200 miles an yeah. hour. Yeah,
2: I just didn't have enough to do after I got divorced <laughs> and uh, my career slowed down, and I just didn't have enough to do. And I, Paul and I were on a plane together going from New York back out to California. I asked him, what are you doing? We were sitting, you know, in the same cabin and um, he told me he was going out to Riverside for the last race. I said, oh, I love racing. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, because when I was in high school, my best friend, one of my girlfriends, uh, father had bought a track but he had only opened the straight uh the straightaway so he was doing uh uh you know um uh, funny cars and uh-huh. stuff like that or quarter milers and i after mass on a sunday we would go out and i would hand out the pit passes to the guys and i was just fascinated by the mechanics of it all i knew nothing and um So I told this to Paul. So Paul said, oh, well, come out and, you know, hang with us. So I did for the weekend. I stayed out of the way, and I just watched. And then I happened to ask the crew manager. I said, well, where are you going next? And they told me. So I showed up. And they said, well, and then when the next race, they said, you want to come along? I'll get you an extra room at the motel. So I said, sure. Then sometimes Joanne would come. And so it pretty soon was like that for about a year. And then, uh, yeah, just went on from there.
0: I was once in a race car with Jay Leno. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But just, uh, I, I don't uh, think I don't think the
1: average moviegoer associates Marsha Mason with, with, <laughs>
0: that, with, yeah, with with, uh, with, with,
1: with professional I'm, racing. I'm
0: trying to picture it the whole time you were telling this story. <laughs> yes, I know
2: it's really interesting. Well, I went to every school that was imaginable. There were about four of them: Bondra, you know, Jack Russell, all, all of them. Um, yeah, so I did. Oh, I tell did us it.
0: about James Con. work.
2: Oh, he's kind of people lovely. People come to help
1: tell us stories, different well, stories.
2: Yeah, because he, well, he's he's a complicated guy. Yeah, but when I first worked with him on Cinderella Liberty, he was a bit, he was the big star. Coming I was off a of nobody. Corleone. Yeah, yeah, he was he was huge. And what was so interesting was how much he gave of himself behind the camera. So when it was my close up. His performance was the same as when he was on camera. And Wilmer Sigmund, the cinematographer, said he had eyes in the front of his shoes. He always knew how to hit his mark. So I learned a lot from him. Wow. And when we had to do the bedroom scenes and stuff like that, I mean, he had a girlfriend. He had, you know, I mean, he had an entourage. I I knew nothing, and he was a total gentleman and wonderful. When we came time to do uh, Chapter 2, his whole personal life had changed, and he was having difficulties. So he was in in a complicated position at that time. And he felt very um, upset. And angry that he he really thought maybe the gambler would give him that leg up for right. the academy. Pretty good movie, war. but it didn't but didn't, didn't
1: do yeah. a big box office. And it
2: made him angry.
1: Interesting. You know, I read an interview with him, and he said that um, he was embarrassed by some of the choices that he made in the 70s at, at when he was coming out of The Godfather, but not Cinderella Liberty, that he was proud of. He was particularly proud of that. He
2: one. was. It was beautiful. It was a gorgeous performance. And I think the reason they, they pushed Cinderella Liberty out early, because I was a, I was nobody, you know, to get a nomination. That was just shocking. And also, they rushed the picture out for that, you know, week between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was because of Jimmy's performance, but it it wasn't recognized. I heard
1: you say there was so much going on at that particular time that you didn't really get to savor the experience. I
2: didn't. I didn't. Because I had married Neil. I was doing The Good Doctor on Broadway. I couldn't go to the Golden Globes. And because we had gotten married, some people thought um, it was uh, wrong, and terrible, and they uh, they felt that I was the character in Cinderella Liberty, so the girls would get uh, hate mail. But who, who would know, be stupid enough to think know. that? Well, <laughs> but they did, and they said, "How can you know? How can he marry somebody who plays a whore and all of this kind of stuff? So prostitute or whatever you want to call it, Czar. yeah."
1: I'm interested, too, in the early days and, and going and going through the book, you had a nice experience with Peter Falk when you were a very young actress. Oh, I did. And this is years before you would get <laughs> yes, to work with him on The Chief yes, Detective. But yes. it shows the generosity of the man oh, to, totally, a, to a young totally, actor, another, totally. another young actor. Yeah.
2: Because I, I was an extra. And it was, I, here I was in New York, just fresh out of college, wanting to be an actor and everything. And so I thought, well, and they were shooting this black and white series where he played a lawyer or a detective yes, or something. We about
0: series where he played a lawyer. Oh, uh, trials of O'Brien.
2: Yes. That's it. So, I, I used sure as a yeah. kid. So um, I was an extra and because I had done a bunch of commercials, I I bought myself, before I became conscious, I bought myself a Canadian fox uh, coat, real fur, which to this day I...
1: Well, people in those days. In those
2: days. So anyway, so we're going to do a scene in the old Pan Am building with the escalators going down to a Grand Central. And I'm sitting around as an extra, which is just a thankless job, And I see that they're going to shoot some scene with just Peter over in a corner somewhere. So I go over and I hide behind some flats or whatever in the studio. This is before the Pan Am building. And I watch him act to a, uh, a a drawing on the floor of a, where the body is mm-hmm. supposed to be. And Nehemiah Persoff was... Wow, yeah. wow. So, anyway, fade out. Uh, somebody caught me doing this, and so I guess it got back to him. I don't know how it happened. But anyway, I mentioned to him, or he knew about it, whatever it was, fade out. We're now in the Pan Am building, and we're going down the escalator, and he comes up behind me, and he said, um, or I say to him something like, oh, Mr. Falk, whatever. And he goes, uh, you want to be an actor? And I said, yes, yes, I do, and and everything. And I I must have told him, I think I, I, I got this coat and
0: everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so he said, okay, he said, so your mother can see you got to stand right here <laughs> and he did so while we're going down the escalator there i am That's in my great. canadian fox jacket coat or whatever sweet and there's peter Falk. i just love what it. a nice
0: thing to do for a young when actor. we
2: were on um um murder by death i told him that you did. story I was gonna ask yeah, that. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: there, there was a peculiar well, I—I I mean, I've heard interviews with Neil Simon that he was a big Peter Falk fan. Yeah, and there was a peculiar production of the Sunshine Boys. Oh, the with one with
1: Woody Allen and
0: Woody and Allen Peter Falk. and
1: Peter yeah, Falk. The TV, yeah.
0: God, I don't that was remember a less, that. It came yeah. and went. Yeah, it was yeah. like a TV movie. A less, production. a less successful. Oh, really? And, and I mean, you know. You, yeah, you can't say anything about the talent to be the one of them, Mm-mm. Woody Allen and Peter Falk, but right. it just didn't work.
1: And you, you keep
0: thinking Walter Mathau was just yeah, he was amazing. Great. It was this wasn't
1: great. in the book, but I found this in an interview with you. Uh, Joan Rivers and someone else planned to do a female version of The Odd Couple. Yeah. They wanted you there, they wanted to run it by you. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted a, they, they wanted a woman present particularly yes. you Yes. Well, I'm, I'm, forgive me because I'm forgetting it was Joan Rivers and
2: God I can't remember I know that.
1: they did it with Rita Moreno and Sally Struthers that's right that's but it was right. but it was two other people I'm kicking but it was myself. two
2: other people at the time I yeah. don't remember it either yeah
1: yeah, But they, they they wanted your input in it. <laughs> to, to this day, if you see, if it's one of yours, if it's only when I laugh, if it's, if it's uh-huh. The Goodbye Girl, if it's Chapter 2, can you, are you one of those actors that can stop and, and watch? Or do you, no. do you deconstruct, I can't watch this because I did this wrong and I did that wrong? No,
2: it's not that. I, I don't have any problem. I can watch the dailies. And what's really cool is I learned this about myself. I don't know why. But... Um I would watch the dailies and and in those days the director allowed me to so if it was Herb Ross or whatever mm-hmm. Bob Moore that that um invariably we always picked the same takes. Oh interesting. So I I just think truth and the purity of the take just is clear to everybody. So and I can be very objective and professional about it. And like I said I think that's maybe part and parcel of why Neil respected me. And and also I was very respectful of what the scene required and who the character was.
1: But if if they come on the television, are you able to escape into the story or are you thinking about everything that was going on in your life at that particular time?
2: (laughs) No, you know, actually what happened is, I remember there was this one time, this happened quite a while ago, but I heard this voice and I thought, God, I know that person. Who is that? And then slowly, I came around the corner, and it was me on the television <laughs> in one of the movies. Wow. And I said, "Oh, well, now we really but, do have to shut it off." <laughs> but,
0: so, your own voice—you you don't cringe when you watch yourself. No, you go, no, no, no.
1: Robert Moore did good work. Yes, he did. By the way, yeah. Murder by Death and the Chief Detective, yeah. and and only when I laugh, and yeah. so not only when I left. That was uh, Glenn uh, Glenn Jordan, but he did some good stuff in Chapter Two. Yep. Yeah, yeah. More people should know about him yeah. and should know about his work.
0: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this.
1: Yeah. Can we throw some names at you just to get short, sure. just to get quick reactions?
0: Uh
1: huh. Because um, I wrote down some of the wonderful people you worked with. We talked about Khan, um, Anthony Hopkins.
2: Oh, I love Tony. Yes, not only that, but... And Robert Tony, Wise. Yes, but, but also Tony and I did a play. We actually, it's really sweet, Todd Haynes at the Roundabout said that we helped them save the Roundabout at that moment. Wow. Because I brought... I brought um Tony out of because of Audrey Rose. We wanted to do a play together and we picked um, Harold Pinter's um Old Times and I got Jane Alexander to do it. And wow. the three of us did it for the roundabout and it it helped them keep their their company alive.
1: There's an actor I can watch do absolutely anything. Oh he's brilliant. There's no such thing as a bad movie with, with, with Anthony he's, Hopkins he's holding your attention.
0: Well, there was that <laughs> There was that one with uh, Chris Rock. I don't even Anthony. know
1: that Hopkins. one. Oh, bad company. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, even movies like Magic and, and Yeah, Hearts no, in he's Atlantis he's and,
0: great and, actor. No, it's he's just, really You can't good. take
1: your eyes off the guy. What about the great Albert Finney?
0: Oh, I
2: love it. I loved Albert. Yeah, it was great to work with. You know, the Brits are really interesting, and especially the actors. They, they they have i don't know what if it's because they have the confidence of their country
1: oh that's they're, interesting
2: yeah they they are they're treated seriously yeah and they can go from theater to television to film and they can work through all of their ages and they're revered and they're given knighthoods and they're considered royalty even though they have a monarchy in that country. People say that actors, movie stars, are the royalty of America, but it's not true because the minute a woman gets of a certain age, she's just, you know, go away. So
1: They're allowed to become esteemed older actors. Yeah, and
2: maybe, maybe we're going to get there with, uh, you know, today's Hollywood and the Me Too movement, but most people do not I still have that tacky sort of um I don't know attitude I think about people in my who are actors. Yes, they are revered they're respected. don't get me wrong but at the same time it isn't really the same.
0: I get it and and tell us about your one day's work on <laughs> Dark Shadow.
1: <laughs> Was it one day? Did we have that right? I think it was probably You were a hooker just, who
0: turned into a vampire? That's right. Perfect.
1: <laughs> I learned a
2: new word. I learned a new word because the description was she's a doxy, and I didn't know what that meant, and it meant a woman who worked on the docks who was a prostitute for the sailors or whatever. It's called a doxy, and then I became, I became a werewolf or whatever you call it. Great. So I had to, I did my <laughs> hair and the makeup and the whole thing. Yeah. So,
0: so you were a, a hooker werewolf? I was a hooker werewolf.
1: <laughs> I had it wrong. <laughs> I thought it was a vampire.
2: Oh, no, I was a hooker werewolf. That's and, hilarious. And
1: I yeah.
0: remember what I it's remember. A classy about, show, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, I was a stylish oh, show. Dark Shadows. I used to watch it because I loved anything to do with monsters. But I remember even back then knowing this was like a zero-budget production. Oh, totally, (laughs) totally, black and white.
1: What about the great Jason Robards?
2: Oh, my God. And
1: and Max Dugan Returns, a movie I like.
2: It was so wonderful. It was so great. He was so at ease. So Talk about casual, laid-back, sure. right on you're the money. You're talking about these
1: great uh, British thespians, but you worked with your I share did. of, yes. when you're dropping names like Eli Wallach and Jason yeah. Robards and yep. Albert Finney. Yep. Uh, I will count Albert Finney as an, as an American actor, but still, you worked no, with...
2: No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Giants. Yeah, Absolute.
1: and, you absolutely. And had nice chemistry in that film, you oh, and Robards. Oh, beautiful.
2: I love, well, I had such respect for him because I told him that... Um, in All the President's Men, he has this moment where he finally decides to tell Woodward and yeah. those guys to go forward. They keep the camera on Jason. He turns around, and it's on his back. And he's walking away, and the camera holds on him, just him. And he just kind of does this thing on the desk as he's leaving. I know what you leaving. mean. And that moment— Moments that actors, great actors have, always sort of resonate. So when I was doing a television movie about, um, was with Kiefer Sutherland when he was, I don't know, 18 or Mm -hmm. something. And I play a doctor, and he's this difficult child. And I have this moment where we make a kind of breakthrough, and I stole it. I just stole it from Jason. I'm sitting on a desk, I think or whatever, and I just went just like that. It was, it was <laughs> wow. my homage and to Jason Roberts so when we not? shot um, when we shot the movie together, Max Dugan, I told him the story.
0: And and one nice. actor who uh, I'm not going to leave alone till he agrees to do the podcast. Oh, George but, Siegel. George Siegel. We've been chasing him since you we started You show. Yeah. Oh, and they show. want
2: me to do a documentary on him, so I can tell them he has to come and do your Uh-oh. show before <laughs> <We've>, I'll do... <laughs> I mean, we um, even have
1: actor friends of his, like, like Ron Liebman and, and yes. Jessica, uh-huh. asking him. <laughs> but for some reason, he, we haven't been able to...
0: So since he won't talk to us, can you tell us well, why? You, you,
1: <laughs> you have that <laughs> nice story where you audition for Bloom and Love, and then what? You disappeared to London to clear your head. Yes, and you I saw ran him coming into down him. the street.
2: I was hoping, you know, that I would get the job, and it—I hadn't heard, and no news is good news. And I see him in the park <laughs> um, in London, and I go rushing up to him <laughs> to say, "Oh my God, Mister Siegel, I'm just a." Such a big fan, and I want you to know I auditioned for Bloom and Love, and blah, 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 blah. And he's kind of, you know, like, who is this person? Because <laughs> I'm really sort of over the top here. And, um, and then, of course, I immediately heard that I did not get the job, and I went into uh, a deep depression, but then wound up getting to do the job. So you never know what destiny has in short sure When you for got
1: you. on Bloom and Love, and then he he made the connection, did he say, this is the girl that ran that ran, kept, know, running sure up, up to You know, I'm not sure he me? did.
2: I told him. I said, do you remember that crazed girl that was coming up to you? And he said, yeah. And I said, it was me.
1: That's funny. <laughs> You had, and you say that you had the good fortune to uh, to work with two directors who were actors yes. early, early on. Yeah, Rydell I really and, think.
2: Yep, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and Rydell's Paul on Ma- Facebook, so we're going to Ma- invite him Ma- to do Ma-Zursky. this show.
1: I don't know if you stay in touch with him.
2: Yes, I, I saw I saw him a couple of years ago. We had lunch.
1: We had Bruce Dern here, and he talked about um, uh, the Cowboys. Yeah, and so we have to ask uh, Mark to do the show, but Mazursky, too. I mean, yeah, you were fortunate. Yeah, I was to, to be working I with really these people was. who knew acting, knew knew how to protect. Yeah,
2: and I think that's really why I was able to transition to to film from just being a theater person mm-hmm. was because they made it easy for me. They they gave me the um, the direction and the confidence to just make that shift. Whereas nowadays, people worry about it and have to take separate classes and all of that. I think those two gentlemen really were instrumental in, in being able to talk to me and communicate to me, actor to actor, right. so that at right. the same time they were really good um, movie directors, they were also good actor-directors. Oh,
0: what what pointers would you give to like young acting students?
1: Don't anticipate, or you'll get hit in the head like Rip Torn <laughs> yeah. gave you a whack.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't recommend that.
1: But, uh, I was going to, all these nice character actors that we're talking about, you also survived Rip Torn and Norman Mailer.
2: I mean, I think um, it's really difficult because the business has changed so much, mm-hmm. Um Nowadays, what's asked of the actor in order to be uh, in the films is branding and all this other stuff. Um, So if you're a a serious actor, um, I think you have to get really good at your craft. I think you have to go to museums. I think you have to read. I think you have to study. I think you have to do... Um, everything you can to immerse yourself in a creative environment because, especially for film, your window is so small. If you don't break out in a movie nowadays, you can't learn your craft doing it. You you have to come prepared. I remember Holly Hunter um, gave very good advice uh, as an independent um when you're doing independent film, you know, you have no time anymore. See, we we had two weeks of rehearsal on most of the films I did. Oh, interesting. On the sets or not location, but certainly on the sets, if you had sets. So nowadays, you don't have that. You have to, you have got to have made your choices, take really good care of yourself, do it well, listen to the director, but follow your gut.
1: That's the advice you'd give them. Yeah, and I've heard you say that you think it's beneficial that people do each other's jobs at least once.
2: Oh, that an I, actor
1: should direct. Absolutely, and a director should act. Yes, and, a, and, a, and, and a,
2: everybody should try to write. Yeah, and you do, doesn't d- have to d- be published. for the for yep. the yeah. exactly to have a respect for the discipline. Because until you do it, you don't really understand what it takes to do it. Uh, that's why when I I remember I was working with a young uh, director out of film school, and in those days, uh, he and uh, John Mahoney and I did a twenty minute. You worked with him a lot, John yeah. Mahoney. Piece of film for this young director, and he was you know doing the twenty minutes to get money to do the whole picture. He had no vocabulary with which to talk to us, and he and John and I had a long conversation about it. Nowadays, uh, the film departments uh, in schools and stuff are much more open and they're trying to integrate, even like at Columbia, for example. For years, the directing and the acting didn't even know one another. I mean, it's ludicrous. But, um, yeah, I think that's really it, is you have to have empathy, but you also have to have respect for the discipline.
1: Do enjoy the, working, you enjoy know. working doing uh, Frasier? With Mahoney, you looked like oh, you were yeah. having a good time, oh, I had a and great I never time. saw you play a part like that. Like she was a good time girl.
2: I know. Yeah. Well, you go back to Cinderella, Liberty, <laughs> I mean,
1: right? You but know, she was, but people's
2: she, perceptions, and this is the problem today for young actors, is that they're they're categorized. They're they're um, they're. They belong to a group. Oh, she's this or she's that. And that's the problem because as an actor, you don't think of yourself that way. But that's pretty much you have to. I remember I was teaching a master class at Carnegie Mellon, and the kids were saying to me, well, how do I brand myself? How do I... And I said, what are you talking about? Because when Bobby De Niro, Bob Redford, Jane Fonda, myself, when we came all came up, none of that, we didn't talk about that. We were sure. just supposed to be really good at what we did, which was to act. Right. So, we weren't categorized. But nowadays everybody is categorized. They're um they're put into a group. Oh, she's funny, or right. she's this, or, and that's how they're casting. So you're
1: telling me Gilbert could do Lear if he <laughs> wanted to.
2: <laughs> Actually, I think maybe that's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, a scary, we, that's a scary notion. Now, this, is, this is a cliched question that's been asked, but is, is comedy harder? I know you believed, as Neil did, to do it like drama.
2: Play oh, it, you have to make you have to do it, it for real, Absolutely, yeah. for real, because that makes it funny if I'm it's well in, written.
1: I'm watching you in Frasier and you come blasting into this this this. I think I watched the episode where you you made your debut. Uh-huh. And you know Maggie, you compared her to Maggie in Cinderella Liberty but she's a tragic character. Yeah, this this character is just, and I never saw you play anything like that. Yeah.
2: Well what like was interesting a is a bottle of uh, yeah i of heard cold that duck. a couple of the producers when my name came up because john was uh, anxious to have some material for himself because he had signed on And the original idea for the series was much more about him and the two guys. And then, of course, what happened was people got more interested in the two guys. So the bottom line was is that John needed, you know, he needed to be able to explore his character a little bit more. And he put me on a short list of, I think, with other people. So when the name came up and everything, there were some of the producer, writer-producers, who thought I was, quote-unquote, a Giorgio Armani type, not a, you know, (laughs) ex-showgirl.
1: That's like saying you were an L.A. actress. (laughs) (laughs) Good doctor.
2: So um, what was really interesting, though, is when I read the script and everything, they did send it to me and asked if I would do it. Um, I talked to the costume person who i had never met and i said i i have some ideas and she said yeah and the two of us totally got right away who the character was uh. from the close and i account that to my training as an actor because costume means a lot in terms of telling you who the character is or whatever.
0: And so and,
2: when they came down for the for the run through cuz you know you're working on it for a couple of days and they give you some rewrites and then cuz it was all done live at, at that time for camera and then all the producers come for a, a, everybody was like, you know, knocked off their we we had it solid. yeah, so yeah.
0: it was you're great in it. You're you're about the only guest we've had on the podcast. Who's done research on me. <laughs> Just to,
1: we didn't have the mics on, but to catch our listeners up, Marcia came in and she was excited that she'd read an article about Gilbert in Vulture. In Vulture, yes. In, in Vulture. Yeah. Well, I, well, I direct you to, uh, to see his wonderful performance in the movie Aladdin. I a, haven't seen parrot. it yet. Okay, <laughs> I'm looking forward.
2: I read about that. But. Seems like they call on you and just said we need the laugh and that's it. And, yes. we'll go in <laughs> and they pay you for 5 minutes.
1: Do you <laughs> see someone like like Gilbert who's an absurd broad comic? Do you see him playing a being versatile enough to play a dramatic role? If he yes, put his mind to but it. But
2: only if he wanted to.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. How about that? Only
2: if he wanted to. What do you to. think,
0: Gil?
1: His
2: yeah.
0: life
1: is it anyway?
2: <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll I'll do nothing but uh, Tennessee Williams plays for now <laughs> I never on. sang for my father? Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> right. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. Um, yep. I want to I, I this is a crazy question. Do you think Elliot and Paula would have stayed together? Yeah. And made a run it and made oh, yeah. a run to the end? Yeah. I'd like to think so.
2: Yeah. And I think mostly because of Richard's character. He was just too much fun to be around that you would want to lose that.
1: We're watching the other night and we've seen it a bunch of times and my wife turns to me and she says, He's just charming.
2: Yeah. He was great. He was just And that great. was
1: a that was a good marriage of, of actor and writer. Yeah. Don't you think?
2: Oh totally.
1: Yeah. Totally. Totally.
2: Yeah. yeah. And when we did Prisoner of Second Avenue in London, we had a we had a huge success there. Again, because I think of that chemistry. You
1: just picked up where you left off, Yeah, in a way? That's so great. Totally. Wonderful. And also,
2: I knew how to rein him in, you know, because if you let Richard go, you <laughs> know, what I mean, there's no stopping him. And there was this one, I remember there was this one performance where he has to go kind of semi-nuts. But he went full out nuts, and he's practically climbing some uh, bookshelves. And I, I have the next line and he's going on. So I just folded my hands and I waited and the audience is laughing at him <laughs> and he's, it's feeding him more and more. So by this time he looks like an orangutan, you know, climbing the bookshelves. And finally he sort of like comes to and he looks at me and I just said, are you finished? <laughs> I That's <you> know, fantastic. <laughs> play. But that's the kind of special chemistry we have. Yeah. And Neil was thrilled with it.
1: Just luck, in a way. Yeah. You couldn't make. No. You couldn't you c- build it. You can't.
2: It. No, you can't make that up. No.
1: Yeah. We're going to tell people to read your book, which you published in 2000, Journey, A Personal Odyssey.
2: Oh, thank you. And read
1: all the different titles that you almost went through. <laughs> and I find it, as I said, I find it fascinating that you're bringing up names like Edward Arnold and Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. Like to t- we love character actors here. We love the James uh, Cocos of the oh, world.
2: Oh, yes. And the, absolutely. And the Bruno
1: Kirby's and the John Mahoney's exactly. and,
2: and these you people, know, they don't get I enough I mean, to- movies lost those characters for a long time. I mean, Joe Pesci's bringing them back. you know, Oh, you, Marty mean like,
1: you mean like the – To this day, yeah, we still don't – Like the company. Edward Everett Horton type, yes, t- type of actors? we don't
2: or? have – well, any kind of really character interesting actors. character actor. Right. If you think about it, what film can we name other than – I mean, I think about – because only because Joe Pesci is getting so much press right. now – and I think Marty Scorsese dealt in character actors, you sure. know. But for the broad swath
1: of I know, well, you don't. The Totoros are out there. And yes. The, and the, well, absolutely. You have to look for but them. But they're
2: not revered like they were no. in the '40s no. and the '30s. No.
1: Yeah. No, they You're were. You're a TCM great. person like us. Do you sit oh, yeah. there and watch? Sure. And, and watch these oldies and.
2: I. That's how I grew up. I get into was this stuff. watching. I mean, I remember David Susskind's play of the week oh, in black and white. Million on the dollar
0: television. movie. One, yeah. one yeah.
2: time, Bob
0: Osborne, we I went him on. And and we, had it, yes. we had him the yes. grammar with him. Oh, he was that wonderful. Was great, great. To do that. Yeah.
2: And part of the problem is too is that the studio wannabes, the executives, for a long time. I don't know if this is true today, but for quite a while there. They didn't even know who anybody was from the 70s.
1: It's crazy. It's yeah. one of the reasons we do this show. Yeah, we keep we're, we're trying to keep these names alive. We're trying Aren't to keep this. We're trying to keep it's this nice. history alive. Well, you know, Jessica Walter said to us as we were walking her out to the elevator, "Don't ever stop doing this." I it's, directed it's a, her. You did know. you? Yes. yes, she's great.
2: And Steel Magnolias, she's and she great. was fabulous. She's a gem.
1: She said, she's, "Keep doing this because she sees it as a public service."
2: <laughs> she's right,
1: <laughs> as as we do. You know, and watching something like The Cheap Detective or, or Murder by Death, you see, these are movies made by movie lovers. That Neil had just such a love for Alicia Cook Jr. Yeah, and Paul Hound Yeah, and 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 these people that and Sydney Greenstreet. Well, and yeah, the people that he big He
2: loved them. He we had Danny
1: them. Houston in here, John Houston's son. Oh a couple, wow! A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about about this.
0: There's a character actor. Totally. You and, know. and he does a great John Houston
1: imitation. <laughs> <laughs> Marsha, what's next? What's chapter three? Well,
2: um, I've been directing more and more now, so that's really good. And I just finished a play at the Irish Rep, actually, played a North Dublin um, grandmother. That's
1: in your neighborhood, the Irish Rep. Yes. Yes. You better go see it.
2: Little Jim. No, we just finished. We finished about three weeks ago. One of our other
1: guests, Matthew Broderick was doing something. Yeah, Matthew's
2: worked there. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So you're directing? And I've you're been enjoying it and no more I racing think,
0: no more racing so Matthew is an Irish Jew I think <laughs> well he's definitely Irish yeah yeah if if he is that puts him in. I I, I have this whole category of Irish <laughs> Jews uh, Jack Warden uh Leo Gorsey on oh, the Bowery Boys. Yeah. uh well of course Ben Stiller right um ben Stiller. oh well uh, uh Harrison Ford Right, very good. <laughs> The things he thinks These about. These are the things
2: I... that you preoccupy yourself yes, with. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's very See, we got through a
1: whole interview and never brought up Hot Rod of Blue. <laughs> People will have to. People will have to do their own research.
2: Yeah, they should.
1: We yeah. want to thank you. Oh, for, thank you, for you for very much. much.
2: I've had yeah. a great time. And schlepping thank out you. out
1: for us, and we want to thank Please. Mark Malkoff, who who uh, from you did the Carson podcast. Yes, with Mark,
2: I did. So this
1: is your second podcast. Oh,
2: actually, that's yes. right. I forgot yes. and that he, he
1: put us in touch with you. So oh, to, thank we you. We want to thank Mark. I and, did.
2: I love. I loved Johnny. He was really nice.
1: And people should read your book, people who want to be an actor or want <laughs> to be a really creative sweet. person. It's fascinating. Thank you. Your childhood is fascinating in oh, St. Thank Louis, you. too. Thank you. And the whole, the whole journey.
2: Oh Well, they if they want the book or something and have difficulty finding it, they can go on Facebook and I'll get it to them.
1: You're on Facebook? Yeah. Oh, so you're out there.
2: I'm out there. Okay. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook.
1: We will share with you the social media responses to this episode. Okay. And you will be, uh, oh, cool! Will be pleasantly flattered.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been speaking to the hooker werewolf herself. <laughs> <laughs> Marcia Mason, great Marsha Mason. Marcia, you've probably done you've probably done five
1: thousand interviews. I'll bet no one has ever serenaded you as no Paul Williams
2: has ever, and I feel thrilled.
1: <laughs> this was a joy for us. A
2: thank, joy for me thank, too. Thank you so thank you. much. I have a whole new career. I'm a werewolf. I'll a hooker
0: werewolf. A hooker werewolf. A doxy. <laughs> All your life you've waited For love to come and stay And now that I have found you You must now slip away I know it's hard believing The words you've heard before But darling you must trust them Just once more All the way Cause the things you do My goodbye girl Will bring me back to you I know you've been taken Afraid to hurt you You fight the love you feel for me Instead of but I can wait forever for helping you see that I was meant for you, and you for me.
2: Now you're home Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn.